0: Here's what's coming up on today's show.
1: Try to limit that overhead expense every single month when you do get to retirement because it just it takes so much stress off your asset total if it's not going to a fixed payment every single month. Welcome to the Perfect Game Retirement Podcast with former professional baseball player and now financial coach at Black Oak Asset Management, Ryan Ledman. This show will help you make the right financial decisions so you can pitch a perfect game in retirement. Here's the windup and the delivery.
0: Glad to have you back inside Perfect Game Retirement. I'm Ben George. He's Ryan led and President Financial Coach. Black Oak Asset Management. They've got their offices in Alpharetta, also in Cartersville as well, but they're serving all that Atlanta area and surrounding suburbs as well. And Ryan, good show today. I'm sure you were a guy being an athlete and, and, you know, being in the locker room, you probably weren't afraid to, you know, be direct with someone and kind of tell them how
1: it is, even if it's not the most popular answer, right? Exactly. Uh, Sometimes, especially in the sports world, there's a lot of uh, egos in in locker rooms and clubhouses. And (laughs) so sometimes it's a battle of egos. But yeah, sometimes you have to uh, set people straight. But then as a coach, you kind of, you know, flip that around and you have to uh, you have to do that as well, and, and you know a lot of times set people straight because you know society tells you one things one thing, and sometimes that's uh that's not what you need to be told. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, being a good advisor is much like that. It's it's not about winning that popularity mm-hmm. contest or or just saying the same things that everybody else is telling people in the industry. It's about giving the best advice to someone for their individual situation. So that's what we want to do on today's show. We're gonna kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and discuss some of these areas where good financial advisors. Appear opinion, might go against the grain with the mainstream ideas in the industry. So it should be a good show today. We'll have a mailbag question as well. And again, I'll point you all for any questions you have or you want to follow up with Ryan BlackOakAM.com is the best place to start. All right, let's begin with risk, Ryan. I know there's a lot of formulas. There's a lot of rules of thumb for the appropriate amount of risk for retiree or pre-retiree. How do you go or do you go against the grain on what's typically said with risk for a retiree pre-retiree?
1: Yeah, I mean there's there's so many things in our industry that have kind of been stereotyped, you know, four percent rule, which we discuss on the show, sixty forty portfolio, which we've discussed before. Uh, a lot of those things just as time time goes on, those necessarily aren't truths anymore. They are kinda okay, it's it's something to go on, let's let's okay, if I save this and I take 4% out, okay, I can take that in income. I mean, those are are some generalities now, but I wouldn't say those are specific advice anymore. But yeah, the appropriate amount of risk uh, for a retiree or or a pre-retiree. I mean, yeah, some of the stereotypes of, okay, you're super young, take on more risk. That's usually a lot of times the truth, but some people just are still risk adverse and they don't want to know that their volatility number is this, like their portfolio could go down this and up this. Well, the upside doesn't really, it's not a reward for risk adverse people. They may, you know, see the downside and go, oh yeah, I don't wanna lose negative whatever um, to maybe get a positive this. It it just just doesn't make sense. But yeah, I mean, there are some some still generalities of, okay, younger you are, you have time on your side, especially if it's a retirement account and you're young, You can't touch this stuff for a long period of time anyway and if you do you're going to take a huge haircut so don't do that um you know you pay a lot of taxes and penalties if you take this stuff out early in a retirement account so don't don't do it uh so taking the appropriate amount of risk so one thing that may go against the grain a little bit is i i do think people get too conservative too quickly sometimes again that's kind of a blanket statement but you always hear people saying okay well i'm gonna retire at this age okay great you've retired but and I know we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but what's our what's our runway for life? <laughs> you may be sixty five, and you may live thirty years. Well, if you get too super conservative, you may have run the risk of running out of of money. Now, there's a delicate balance there with you know how much risk you do take on, because obviously, if the market plummets, then you could lose run out of money that way too. But so there is a balance. But I do see people sometimes getting uh, too conservative too quickly. Uh, Or sometimes I see people who are about to retire and their portfolio is about as, the volatility is about as high as you can possibly get it because they, you know, set their 401k up and just been plowing it in there and haven't really thought about it. And then they realize, oh wow, this is, and you need to know what your standard deviation number is. That's a, again, nerdy term, but you need to know what the standard deviation of your portfolio is. Um, Like most people, I guarantee you, 99 people out of 100 have no idea what the downside and upside possibilities are, and they need to know that. Uh, so pegging that being specific on what you're comfortable with, yes, but I do think people generally get too conservative too quick because again, people are living a ton longer and this stuff has to sustain itself and, and getting too conservative with the environment that we're in right now, when I say the environment we're in right now, you know, say, quote unquote, safe investments still just aren't paying a ton. I mean, you can look at treasury uh, notes, bills, I mean, they they're still not paying a ton. They are increasing, but they're still not paying a lot. And they're certainly not keeping up with inflation.
0: Yeah, ain't that the truth for sure. How um, About life insurance, because there's a lot of, I guess, thought that maybe in, in you know, later life in retirement, life insurance really doesn't have as much value. Um, what do you think the
1: appropriate use of life insurance is? This is um, this one's a, a little bit of a difficult one because it can be used so differently in so many ways and some people use it effectively and some people don't let's quickly not to dive too deep. Cause I know we've talked about life insurance on here before and devoted a whole episode uh, to it. Now, most people just need term, you know, cover their catastrophic uh, or cover the catastrophic event. If that were to happen, cover debts, pay off house, Put kids in school, you know, the, the, that's what term is used. It's, it's very easy to understand. You pay for it every month or every quarter or every year for a certain period or term 20, 30 years, 10 years, whatever it may be. And then it just stops. Um, now you have the ability to continue it on, but it's insanely expensive after that. Um, but term is just term. And then it, it covers that what if, it, but it's very cheap because, actuarially speaking, those insurance companies know, there's a really high probability that you're not gonna die. So we do know that's what it's trying to cover. But life insurance, the one thing I, I will maybe go against the grain a little bit is people saying, well, I'm at 55 or at 60, I'm not gonna need it anymore because my investments are gonna be really high, I'm not gonna have any debt. And okay, well that's great if that happens and that doesn't always happen. So a lot of times people still need life insurance where when they're in that age demographic where it's a lot more expensive because you're getting older. And it's, again, it's, it's based off of time. <laughs> and you are running, you have less and less time. So there is a greater risk, which means your premiums are gonna be much, much higher. So, I've, and I've had to deliver a few life insurance checks to uh, spouses who are left behind and not one of them has said, no, I don't need this. I mean, I'm trying to be like half sarcastic, half funny, but I'm being real at the same time. People are over; they're they're grieving, they're hurt, um, but getting a life insurance check of a quarter million, half million, whatever it may be, it it does relieve some of that financial stress that they that they may have. And it's you know, it, it, if it's done properly and structured right, it's a it's a tax free gift. Now it counts toward your estate, but It's tax-free when you get it so it's I usually think people need it longer than they actually think they do because life happens we don't always have our debts paid off when we retire Um, there's just things that need to be taken care of and, and life insurance is the quickest way to to get money after a person passes and to pay for final expenses or You know it's it's a good use Uh, sometimes I think it's overused and oversold from a whole life perspective but I'm not saying that can't work either but it's just got to be structured properly and for the right people
0: all right let's talk about debt. I know this is one that you're this is close to you being a Dave Ramsey smart vester pro so I know you're happy to talk to people directly when it comes to that because this is such a big part of it so uh, how do you approach debt, and 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 how how is that against the grain potentially then what what people might hear from other other uh, sources
1: Yeah, I mean, you you may, obviously, uh, Dave is like, get rid of all debt. Um, Obviously, he's got a certain pecking order of what he talks about. So I'm mutually aligned uh, with that. I mean, consumer debt, let's knock that out as quickly as possible Uh, because consumer debt, usually it's going towards something that is depreciating in value or costing us money, whether it's on credit cards. I mean, that's compound interest in the wrong way. That's what we're trying not to do. We're trying to earn compound interest in the right way. So paying off consumer debt, obviously student loans is probably the biggest thorn in society's spine right now and there's so many so much noise out there with student loan debt i mean we could have 10 episodes of student loan Like, what what direction is going in loan forgiveness you know is it is is the is the government's magic wand just going to wave over people um i wouldn't i wouldn't count on that people um but uh student loan debt is is you just got to pay it just you, you took it out just just Pay it, and I know there's some some extenuating circumstances that sometimes people they qualify for it. You know, they work at a nonprofit and they work there for a certain period of time, and okay, you know how it's written right now, they qualify for it. But please try to, uh, from a student loan debt perspective, just pay something on it uh, per month. Don't let those things go, because then you really run out of options on what you can do later if there is some sort of forgiveness program. But if you don't pay, it's not good. Um, you gotta catch up on that. But, and then obviously house debt, that's our biggest debt, but it's our biggest asset usually for a lot of people. Um, yes, the goal, pay that sucker off before uh, you retire. Now that's not always the case. People have, um, you know, house debt going into retirement. Now I wouldn't say unload all your 401k just to pay your house off. There's some There's some ratios and percentages there, but try to limit that overhead expense every single month when you do get to retirement because it just it takes so much stress off your asset total if it's not going to a fixed payment every single month
0: all right we're talking about going against the grain a good advisor is going to tell you what you need to hear not what you want to hear Um, how about paying off the house this is one another's varying opinions on whether or not to pay it off as soon as possible versus just going ahead and continue to pay those payments
1: Yeah, and and I again piggybacking what Dave says, he you know he he doesn't say pay, he doesn't put pay the house off in front of the fifteen percent going toward uh, retirement from a chronological order standpoint. But I've talked to people on Ramsey's site, and this is where you know it's it's different strokes for different folks. I had a young young person in their mid thirties hasn't saved a dime, but they paid their house off. So it's like good for you, you know, who am I to say, Oh, you did that completely wrong. That's wrong. You can't do, it. you know, good for them. That, that's awesome. So now they need to put savings on overdrive just like they did paying their house off and, and they'll be able to catch up. I get it. There's a time value of money and compounding interest. And so you could use that argument. I get it. I understand it, but they have a paid for house, a huge asset. If they want to sell it and move somewhere else, they have that, those profits uh, that they can potentially take to a next house. So, you know, who am I to say if that's something you just want to do? Then, then do it. But um, trying to make it a priority to pay it off before retirement, like I said with the last point, that would be that would be my general advice for people: is have that taken care of before you go to go to retirement. All right, going on to
0: annuities. Uh, this is one that I know will polarize a lot of people, and there's all kinds of opinions on the appropriate use of annuities. But where do you stand, and, and what are you typically telling clients about annuities? Yeah, I
1: mean, another another one that could that could take several episodes to to really go through because there's so many different types. Um, the the general, I mean, you, you type in Google search you know, criticisms of annuities or, I mean, oh my gosh, you'll get laundry lists of things. And you know, they can be, they can be a fit. Uh, do I think they're oversold? I do, I do think they're oversold. Um, they're different types. There's variable annuities, fixed annuities, fixed index annuities. So there, there's so many different types, but again, they can be a fit for some people. Um, and it just depends. I don't wanna spend a ton of time on this. I've mentioned this before if, it, if they were bad horrible terrible products they wouldn't exist anymore they, they would they would go away if they were that bad they would go away um, and, and so I, I do think uh, sometimes people lock up their money too much in these things um, but again they, they can be a fit depending on what you're trying to accomplish um, again, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but they can be a fit in, in people's portfolio. But you just need to know everything as, as much as you can about these things. Know the nuances of it, the surrender periods, the cost, the charges, you name it. As long as you're, if you're educated and you know what contract you're getting into, because it is a contract, then great. Uh, But don't just hear all the good points about it and then go, Oh yeah, that's, that's awesome. Let's do that.
0: Just, just know what you're getting into. Yeah. Always important to know what you're getting into with anything with your financial plans, why you use an advisor that can shoot you straight. All right. And Ryan's doing that for us today. Let's talk about mutual funds. Um, There's a lot of opinions on mutual funds. A lot of people believe getting into mutual funds is a great way to diversify. Um, What do you talk about with clients in, in regards to mutual funds?
1: almost piggybacking the exact same thing with the with annuities i mean just know know what the funds are now do do you need to know all 200 300 400 500 however many companies are inside of one fund i mean that may be a little bit much but as long as you know kind of what asset class they're in what sector they're in maybe some of the companies that they're in but yeah just be familiar and know what your costs are Uh, Is there upfront loads on it? What's the internal expense? Um, Know as much of that as as possible, just like annuities. So it is a great way to diversify. It is, I mean, because you have a collection of companies in there and you're kind of buying slices of them, if you will. And you know, it's not an individual stock that you're you're putting all your eggs in, in one basket. So I, I do think a mutual fund uh, is a good way to diversify, but just just know what it is, especially target date funds. My goodness, target date funds are everywhere. And again, if you don't know what a target date fund is, it's a fund name with a year attached on the end of it. These are, I mean, money is just flowing into these things because I. Th- Well, there's a lot of reasons why, but I think a lot of 401k plans, if if you don't select investments, they just put you in a target date fund based off of your age, which, okay, that may be fine and suitable, but really know what that target date fund is, how conservative does it get over time? And and different fund companies have a, a huge varying degree of what is appropriate for a 2040 fund or a 2050 fund. It's way different, and, and we—I know the analytics behind them because I put them—I put them in our software. And you know, a, a, a fund at one company and then a fund in another, their exact same target date year, and they could their their risk number is way off. Their standard deviation is way off from one another. So just know what you're getting into, just like I talked about with annuities. All right, last one on the list here to discuss cash.
0: How much do you need to have in cash? This, I guess, can talk about emergency funds can also be in regards to just having cash in the bank. Where do you stand?
1: Yeah, you know, having too much cash, especially now with inflation and and the returns on safe investments are still, there's, a, there's still a huge gap uh, between the two, even though savings accounts and CDs are starting to creep up on what they're yielding each year, then okay, great. But, you know, having a good chunk, having a big emergency fund there, again, like Dave says, three to six months, it could be more for some people. You could be higher than that, and that's okay. Just just know the the downsides of those things. That hundred thousand dollars in ten years is not going to be a hundred thousand dollars that that it is uh, today. So if you have too much cash in there, sometimes it's um, you're 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 cash rich, but yet you know your purchasing power is going way down, and and that's what you have to be cognizant of. I mean, it's nice to see that account. Balance not really fluctuate and change especially when the markets are going down But you do have to keep up with purchasing power, especially when it comes as the older you get when it comes to Just staple goods that you have to have but mainly um, Healthcare costs you you need to stay ahead of that because healthcare costs runs from anywhere from three to eight percent each year from um, from an inflation standpoint and If your money's parked and doing a whole lot less it's just it's not it's not keeping up with it so having too much cash is not a good thing but that number is different for everybody some it could be a certain months of expenses or some people it's just a hard line number whether it's 50 grand 100 grand 25 grand it's different for everyone but but communicate with your spouse and know what that number is and then anything above and beyond that that's where you probably need to get that plugged in and investment invested just to keep up with inflation all right. Good stuff, as always, here today,
0: Ryan. I encourage anyone to visit your website, blackoakam.com. You can find the opportunity there to schedule a Retirement Coach 360 session to go through any of these things. If you want to get feedback or find out more on, on Ryan's approaches to each of these and how they apply to your situation, that's a great place to start. But you can also call 470-508-0508. All right. I'm going gonna, gonna to... Switch it up and go to the getting to know you question next, Ryan, and and see if you go against the grain when it comes to food. Um, what's a weird food combination you enjoy?
1: Hmm. I mean, I do love uh, spicy food. That's that's kind of my thing. But as far as combinations, I don't know why this pops into my head. And this really isn't. I guess it is kind of a combination. But I'm a. I, I love cereal. I like. I'm a cereal guy now. My tastes in cereal have changed over time um so i don't not eat like lucky charms every morning (laughs) because i'm 45 and i'll get fat if (laughs) um if that happens but um so i do eat healthier cereal but i I still like to eat cereal so um so to justify it i'll put either um (laughs) instead of milk i'll use like muscle milk um to eat it with that's interesting if if i (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know exactly. Trust me, the faces I get at home when I'm doing that—they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm telling you, it's actually pretty dang good. If you never tried Muscle Milk, put it in there. It's—it's it's actually pretty good. But so I, I eat a like a peanut butter kind of flavored cereal. Um, Kashi—it's like a protein kind of cereal. So sometimes I'll mix Muscle Milk in there, and if I don't have that, I'll put regular milk in there. But then I'll dump um, protein powder in it and mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: That's an interesting food combination. That's for sure.
1: So not really like two food combinations, but it's a lot of, yeah, it's weird. I'm weird, but that's me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you this. I've, I've seen this debate before, kind of a side note, but on cereal, do you go milk into the bowl first or do you go cereal, then milk?
1: cereal than milk man okay. what person puts milk in first? i've really? seen Is a lot a of argument? arguments
0: that people put the milk in there then they pour the cereal in so wow okay I don't so know. you're, I don't you're know about those people <laughs> you're on the right side of that one okay good stuff all right let's finish it out though. we got one mailbag question this week that came in uh leslie in knoxville she says i have a financial advisor who's done a good job for me over the years but my brother always says i should be doing better or at least i could be doing better should i listen to my brother or should i tell him to just leave me alone
1: Leslie, tell him to leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> the dreaded brother uh, advice. Um, usually, it's brother-in-law, but that's kind of funny. It's brother this time. But I mean, who? What is his definition of doing better? I mean, if it's strictly based off of rate of return, you know, Leslie, it's a fit for you. And, and if you don't have to chase rates of return, like maybe your brother likes to or wants to, if your advisor is doing a good job. Um, and your goals are being met and you know, I would stick with, with who you have I and tell your brother to, to pipe down and if he, maybe ask this, maybe I should ask, say this Leslie, ask your brother is what is doing better? Like what is his, you know, kind of fire back at him with a question. Well, what do you mean better? What does that mean? Uh, and if he goes into great detail of some things that his advisor is doing for him and offering him, then okay, maybe, maybe schedule a phone call, have a conversation with that person. But um, you know, just to say he's doing better, you know, what's, what does that mean? What is the definition of doing better? So if you're good, I would stay put, but it doesn't hurt to ask him like, okay, what what do you mean by that? What does your advisor do? And then just kind of be quiet and, and listen. If he just said, if it's all about a rate of return, then just say, no, I'm good. I appreciate it. And then just be done with it. Right. All right. Good question,
0: Leslie. Thanks for that. I'm sure you're not the only one that has family chiming in on their finances. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's close it out on that note, Ryan. uh, had a lot of fun today on this episode. Hopefully helped a few people out and just kind of understanding your approach to finances and financial planning and some key areas today. Uh, And we'll look forward to talking to you again on the next episode. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening to Perfect Game Retirement for Ryan Ledin over at Black Oak. I am Ben George. Take care.
1: and to learn more about how to pitch a perfect game in retirement.
0: Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before taking any action. Securities and registered investment advisory services offered through Silver Oak Securities, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Black Oak Asset Management and Silver Oak Securities, Inc. are not affiliated.